Always good to have weddings, right? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So a new resident to the community was walking down a street and noticed a man struggling with a washing machine at the doorway of his house. Everybody can't be like Jimmy and just lift it and put it in himself, right? Amen, brother. All right. When the newcomer volunteered to help, the homeowner was so happy, so overjoyed. The two men began working on a bulky appliance, uh, one from inside the house, the other on the porch. After several minutes of, of fruitless effort, the two stopped and just stared at each other in frustration. They looked as, as if they were on the verge of total exhaustion. Finally, when they had caught their breath, the first man said to the homeowner, we'll never get this washing machine in there. To which the homeowner replied, in, I'm trying to move it out of here. You ever, you ever not been on the same page as somebody? <laughs> Never, uh, you know, you just not been on the same page. See, uh, they are not on the same page, um, and neither was Jonah and God. See, um, so, so far we have seen... In chapter 1, we saw a rebellious Jonah. If you haven't been with us, we'll give you the quick uh, Cliff Notes version, which we know we don't like those, right, Miss Donna? We don't like Cliff Notes. But any, as English teachers, but um, today I, I think I want to get out of here uh, by, um, <clears throat> by 12, so um, we better go ahead and get on it. Another bad joke. But uh, we saw in chapter 1, rebellious Jonah. We, had, we saw him going completely opposite direction from which he was supposed to go. Right. And we saw uh, God deal with him there. And then uh, the, with the fish, he's in the belly of the fish. He's, he's at the bottom of the ocean. The, be, the, the fish comes and gets him. And we see a reliant Jonah uh, there. And we see him worshiping and thanking God. And then last week, we saw a resolute Jonah. Uh, you know, Now, it wasn't the most merciful, gracious uh, message in the world. Uh, to uh, to the Ninevites, but he was resolute in completing the task. And at the end of last week, we looked at the fact that Jonah's preaching was extremely effective, okay, in spite of his lack of grace, right, Brother Tommy? In, in fact, um, what we saw there was the biggest revival in record, bi- biggest recorded revival in history, as far as we know. Okay, this was the biggest, greater than. Greater than Billy Sunday, greater than Billy Graham, all right, than the Reformation. Uh, you know, it's one day. So this is the biggest, um, uh, the biggest revival ever. One hundred and twenty thousand people, a whole city, turned to God. Keep that in mind. Okay. Now today we conclude the, the book of Jonah by seeing a different side of him, a repining Jonah. Now, and since I'm sure that nobody here ever does this. Okay, because we're all perfect right, in this church, right? You know, I don't know about these other churches. I'm just playing. Okay, just a bad joke. But since we don't really know, um, you know, since we don't do this, let me explain to you what repining is. Okay, and I'm sure y'all still be like, oh yeah, we never do that. Okay, repine is defined as to mope, to be discontent, to fret, basically to pout. Yeah, so we we never do that, right? And you, we, you know, especially teachers. We never, okay, we never do that. Um, Jonah pouted. He didn't like how things went, and he actually lets God know this. Now, you're going to see today that he doesn't only pout over an effective ministry, which makes no sense, okay? But he also pouts uh, about a, a the destruction of a plant uh, and some scorching wind. That's what he pouts over. So the main point of this chapter is the idea that God wants the hearts of the Ninevites 
and Jonah to be completely for him. And so I want to give a theologian named Shao, last name Shao, S-H-A-O, um, the way she outlined this chapter, I couldn't do it any better. So when that happens, I like to make sure I give credit to them and say, uh, I, got, I got the outline from them, okay? Um, and so in the final chapter of the book of Jonah, and I'm sorry, Miss, Miss Rhonda, sometimes I, I jump so much. She's like, I don't know where you are, uh, Patrick. But um, if we can see, there it is. Oh, you're already ahead of me. Uh, this is today's uh, central statement. And if you're taking notes, you can see um, the three words that start with an R as our main point. So in the final chapter of the book of Jonah, we see Jonah's reproach. We see his request along with God's reproof. We're going to see those today in this chapter. And throughout the message today, just kind of like we've been doing the last couple of days, couple of weeks, I've been getting y'all to like, you know, participate, okay? Uh, and so today, uh, again, you don't have to, but I'm going to be repeating a phrase like I did the last couple of weeks, okay? And the phrase that I'm going to repeat today is, is this. It's a matter of the heart, okay? It's a matter of the heart. And if you want to, you do that. If you want to, you know, do that, you can. All right. You want to tap your, you want, you want to do this, pat your heart. You can. You don't have to. But you can if you want to. And you don't have to say anything today. You just have to, you know, do that if you want. All right. But I also want you all and myself to truly examine our hearts today for any prejudice that might be there. Okay. Really ask ourselves today, is there anything there? Okay. As we go through it. So let's look at the first two verses. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and two. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sin and disaster. So the first point we see is Jonah's reproach against God's compassion. So the word reproach is simply defined as to address some way in such a way as to express disapproval or disappointment. And that's exactly what happens here. He's not happy. Okay, uh, Jonah was not happy. In fact, he was greatly displeased. Brother Tommy, not just a little displeased, greatly displeased. And then it goes in, and it even says after that, and became furious. See, I think it would probably be good enough for it just say Jonah was greatly displeased. All right, we'd kind of get that. But just in case you didn't get it, he said it goes on the same verse one and became furious, and he was angry. Um, in fact, the King James version says it this way: "But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry." I like that word better. I like I like the the King James version better in that. He was extremely angry. Okay, extremely angry. But again, can we look back at the verse before it to see what he's greatly displeased about? Just to make the point again, just in case you weren't here or you missed it earlier today. The end, the last verse of chapter 3 says this. God saw there, being the Ninevites' actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. That's what he's mad at. Okay? See, uh, and, and I want to be even, I'll go back here. A literal translation of it displeased Jonah might be it was evil to Jonah with great evil. See the repetition there? Uh, uh, until now, by the way, in this book, evil described the Ninevites. That word described the, Ninevite, the, the Ninevites. But now it marks the prophet. Uh, you see irony in there? Uh, we've seen that the whole time through this book, right? See, consequently, Jonah now became, quote, evil in God's eyes and in need of punishment, as much in need of punishment as the Ninevites had been. 
But God showed Jonah the same compassion he had shown the Ninevites, uh, so according to Constable. See, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, it just, just doesn't make sense, right? So just this past week, and I hope this young lady's not watching this, but, in, but um, at school, okay, we have uh, this, this particular grade that's, you know, was okay with coming to class on time as long as there was something to, you know, before the Thanksgiving break, we had a little uh, fall festival that Sally helped put on. And, man, people could get to class on time just fine for that. You know, but then last week, we don't have that anymore, and then what we have? More tardies, right? Okay, that doesn't surprise you, right, Miss Donna? So more tardies, and and so uh, in in the middle school class in a particular grade, I, I always have to like do a countdown. You know, didn't have to do that the two weeks before the break, but I did this time. So I'm I, I just count down from five. You know, I'm like five, four. You know, and I'm outside. And I said, as long as y'all jog, I won't count you. You know, as long as you run. You know, well, to everybody, there's like twenty of them, and everybody ran except two young ladies. So. I said, y'all can stay. Everybody else come in. And I'm like, y'all didn't even try. You didn't even try. And they're like, you know, they're complaining. They're saying this and that. I said, oh, the bell rang 30 seconds ago. And then I, then I counted down from five. Well, my point is, um, they didn't say anything back to me. But a young lady who was on time proceeded to come back down the hallway so she could interject into my conversation and say why this was, it was uh, stupid that we have to be on the class on time. <laughs> I said, I turned around to her. I said, young lady, um, you're not tardy. You're not in trouble. So I think you should probably just go away. <laughs> uh, and so I, I was pretty I was pretty angry about that. I, I, I would not say I was like uh, greatly displeased. That might be a little bit too much. But I was pretty, I was displeased. Okay, I wasn't happy. But it didn't make any sense. In the same way here, it, does, it doesn't make any sense. Why is he angry? Right? Because of the people of Nineveh were not destroyed. That's what he's angry about. It's a matter of the heart. Oh, right. matter of the heart, right? Okay, y'all can do that if you want. There you go. All right. Now, Chuck Swindoll, I love this quote. Chuck Swindoll said, This was perhaps the only revival where the evangelists needed follow-up more than the converts. The evangelists need, needed, needed the, he, he's the one that needs the follow-up. You know, you, you have a revival and you're like, okay, all right, now uh, we're going to follow up. We're going to call these people. We're going to get them in a church, right? This time it's the preacher who needed the follow-up. Perhaps, and, and I want to say this is just um, some uh, theologian's thoughts as to reasons why he might not have been happy about it. Again, just their thoughts. I don't know if I, you can agree you can agree or disagree with it, but I did want to kind of, uh, I, I did think she has some points here, okay? Um, and, and she offers four reasons why he may have been reluctant to see his mission accomplished, okay? Number one was nationalism, and it's not on there, Miss Rhonda, so, so don't worry about going through. I didn't want to add it up on the notes, but nationalism, um, being so, you know, like America, America, which I think is great to love your country, but, you know, Israel, Israel, no one else. And as uh, Jonathan Swift, the great writer, uh, said, he said this, uh, and excuse the, the, the word here, but his, it's in his quote. He, he had a short little poem that went this way. We are, God, we are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. Is that, is that a thought of some people? I hope not. I hope not here uh, in, in this church. I don't think it is in this church, but you know, have you seen it in other places? Nationalism as possibly a reason. He, he, boy, he loved Israel, and man, he didn't like those Ninevites, so by golly, he wanted them destroyed. And then a strong sense of justice. You know, um, uh, he, she, she thought that might be a reason. You know, it, there's uh, people who have this strong sense of, of evil being punished, you know, because it's the right thing. 
and again, I, I can see that to a point uh, until maybe it's me that's in that situation, you know. Um, but but you know, we we are okay with people being punished, and then unless it's us, and then we want forgiveness sometimes. I just felt that's human nature. Okay. Um, now um, it reminds me of people when I first started teaching, and bless their hearts, I'm sure it never happened to um, to Sally or or to Miss Donna. Uh, but I would have teachers, these older teachers, that would tell me to give me advice whether I asked for it or not, you know, and they'd be like, you know, don't smile till Christmas. Don't smile till Christmas, all right? You don't want to show that, show them that you're human, you know? And I was like, <laughs> I feel like that's the same attitude, you know, like being mean all the time, like, you know, a strong sense of justice. Again, I don't know, uh, but I just, I, I feel like there, there, there could be some truth here. Uh, the next one, one's ethnic group is superior. My group is better than your group. I think it goes with nationalism. Or it could be a fear of shame. Which actually, this could be one uh, where um, he, you know he, he his ministry would you know he'd get some shame there because he had said, hey, you're going to be destroyed, and if they weren't destroyed, then he's not a very good prophet, you know, possibly. Okay, uh, but that contrasts with his attitude of gratefulness in chapter two. Remember that Jonah? Y'all remember that Jonah from two weeks ago? See that Jonah was you know you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. Okay. And you rescued me, and salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember that, Jonah? Yeah, same guy, that person. See, in this chapter, Jonah reminds us of the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, right? Sounds like the older brother. Okay, or the one that Sally read earlier today to us, the unmerciful servant. He got, he got forgiven of his debt, which was a whole lot more than what somebody owed him, and then he's like, he doesn't forgive that guy. Okay? So it's the same type thing because it's a matter of the heart. Amen? It's a matter of the heart. A completely a different approach would be Paul. Uh, look at look at the, the approach we should have as Christians. Romans 9, verses 1 through 3. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He, he's talking about the Israelites and wanting to see them come to Christ. He said, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. I, I, I hurt for them. I have great sorrow for them and great anguish in my, hurt, in my heart because they don't know Christ. See, but I do want to say that at least Jonah complained to God rather than about God to somebody else. Right? Oh, we, we never do that. Right? We, we never complain. Right, Miss Jan? We, don't, we never complain. Okay. But let's look again at the reason for his anger because here's what it is. Again, he knew that God is a good God. And that's what he's angry about. Gracious and compassionate. He's, he's angry about those qualities. Again, does it make sense? Does it make sense? Like, isn't this a quality to be thankful for? Right? Let's look in uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 13, in Exodus 34. To tear, tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sin and disaster. And in Exodus, it says, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity, sorry, on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. See, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God Almighty is gracious and compassionate. Amen? He's gracious and compassionate to meet with me. And I also am thankful that he's slow to anger. Y'all ever met even-tempered people? Y'all ever met them? And they don't get flustered or mad at anything? 
<laughs> you're like, why are you not mad right now? Okay, like you know, uh, and and I, I admit, I admit, I used to do this. I used to have my my student, my players. <clears throat> Y'all can judge me later if you want. Uh, I would have my players kind of get away with whatever they could get away with along among the rules. Okay, um, and I would give them permission to talk a little trash to the other team. Something that Jimmy never did because he was the perfect uh, little boy. Right? Um, but you know, I and I would tell them, but there was one kid. Y'all, Swanee had a guy named Jimmy Taylor. You couldn't get under his skin. You couldn't. All right? No matter what you said to him, he was going to be the same the whole game. And I, we tried it eight times in four years, and we still couldn't get under his skin. Okay? Uh, I was like, oh, he's so slow to anger. Why can't he just get mad just one time? You know, oh, I've always been impressed with that because I'm definitely that's definitely not me. Um, pray for me. Uh, I'm so thankful that God Almighty is slow to anger with me, though. Amen? And with you, because I know I sure have done some stuff that seems like it would tick him off uh, real quickly. And he's abounding in faithful love. And I love this word, okay? And so this is a, this is a word that it, it, is, it is not, there's not really an English word that can adequately express the Hebrew word that's used here, okay? The word is, is spelled H-E-S-E-D, hesed. Hesed, that is the Hebrew word there. Uh, it is used about 250 times in the Old Testament. And, and again, we don't have a word that, ju- that, that translates it at, at, you know, well. Okay? Uh, it, it means loyal, steadfast, or faithful love. The idea of, uh, of belonging together, of those involved in a love relationship. Steadfast, heartfelt, um, committed love. Okay? And, and I love the way the ESV study Bible said, he said, steadfast love, this hesed, when extended to Jonah, filled him with thanksgiving, right? I thank God, we saw that in chapter 2. But when it was extended to the Ninevites, some, some people he don't really like, it filled him with anger. Whew. Watch that. Listen, we had to guard our hearts, right? Because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Tony Evans asked this question, and I, I can't say it any better, so I'm going to ask you the same thing. He says, are there people in your life whose salvation would make you angry? Would it disappoint you to learn that a certain person had become a Christian? I hope not. He goes on to say, think about it. How would you fare before God if He were as angry and unrelenting as you? Strong words. Strong words. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I'm thankful for a God who's gracious and compassionate, amen, who's slow to anger, who's abounding in hesed, faithful love, because it's a matter of the heart. In the final chapter of the book of Jonah, we see Jonah's reproach, and the next thing we're going to see is his request along with God's reproof of Jonah. And y'all remember from the, when we first started that this book is didactic. It, it, it's, a, it's teaching on purpose. It's teaching us a lesson. Okay, and it's taught us many lessons. I hope. I hope you've uh, you've enjoyed it uh, as we finish it up today. But look at this. This is an interesting part. So we're going to look at the next seven verses in Jonah four. It says, "And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." I can't believe you're so in, so loving and so compassionate. Okay? And he says, "The Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry?" Okay, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Verse 5, Jonah left the city, found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant 
When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It's just like he asked him earlier, is it right for you to be angry? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. Second time we see that. So number two, Jonah has a request to die. See, Jonah, Jonah's hot. Y'all, y'all get that joke later. But he's hot both emotionally and physically. You see that? He's hot. Okay? All right? Uh, and in verse 3, he requests God to take his life. It's, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. See, instead of scolding Jonah, what does God do? Well, he's going to teach him a lesson for sure. But he also patiently asks him a question. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Maybe God is asking someone here that same question. And... and and maybe you have what you think is a legit reason to be mad with God. Because there are some things that are that'll break your heart in this in this world. Amen? And some of the things that people have to go through and what they've had to, uh, had to endure. But does Jonah have a, a legit reason? Would you put Jonah in that category? I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> he, see, and then he sits under a shelter east of the city and apparently on an elevated land, which... Think about that, all right? So he could look down on the city, hoping for the destruction of Nineveh, right? All right? Stop for a moment here, and, and, and I know they used to say this back in the day, that's messed up, coach. That's messed up. They ever say that to you, Miss Donna? That's messed up, all right? Let's just see how messed up this is, okay? See, he's probably, he's probably got his feet propped up. He's picture that, Mr. Tommy? He's just got his feet propped up, and he's looking down on the city, all right? And remember, his message was in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. How long had it been, you think? We don't know. Had it been five days, 35 days? I don't know. We don't know how long he did this, but I can just picture him, just how messed up that is. He's just standing up, elevated. You can see the city be destroyed. I can't wait for this to happen. Let me get a good view. You know, if you go to a movie, you want to get that good spot, you know, this seat where you can see real well. Isn't that messed up? See, Ryrie says, Jonah forgot that God spared him, though he was disobedient. Why shouldn't God do the same for Nineveh? See, we, we, we like grace and mercy when it's to us. Sometimes we have to ex- examine our heart because it's a matter of heart, right? Examine our heart and see, is there prejudice there? Is there something there? Look at verse 6. Then the Lord God appointed a plant. And it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased, not just uh, pleased, but greatly pleased with the plant. See, we see, again, we see God taking care of Jonah as his shade from the plant was probably a good bit better than his little shelter he had. Now, there's some argument, and it's funny, some of the things you read, you know, when you're studying, you see this, and like, oh, that was a gourd. That was a gourd, Brother Tommy. And some say, no, it was a castor bean plant. You know, I don't know. It may have been like a tobacco plant. I don't know. You know, big old tobacco leaves. And then, boy, Daddy knows all about that, man. The things were huge. You know, we used to pick up a bunch of them if they was ever on the ground because Daddy would say there's the best money on the ground. I'm like, was there like a $10 bill there? I don't know. I'm just playing. I was like, you're smart Alex self. All right, sometimes. Uh, but, you know, I don't know what type it was. Let's just say a gourd, okay? But this is important, though. It says in desert areas, uh, based on my research, shade, shade can make a temperature difference of 60 degrees. That's, that's not something that would just be like, ah, that's a little. No, that's a lot. That's a lot. Okay? And then God once again shows his love for Jonah 
took care of him, gave him some comfort, and Jonah was greatly pleased with it. Well, shouldn't he have been just as pleased with the results of his ministry? It's a plant. Gave him a little relief for a short time. Humans had turned to God. See, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's like this young lady, housewife, Madam Prell. She became so fed up with neighbors parking outside of her house. Uh, this is across seas here overseas. And after weeks of pleading, she arose before dawn one morning and set to work on a gleaming maroon citron in front of her gate. Citron vehicle. She saw that maroon uh, vehicle. She was like, okay, I'm tired of these people parking here. So she, she scratched the, paint, the paintwork with a wire brush, poured liters of gloss paint over the roof, and slashed the tires before returning to her bed, deeply satisfied. She was awakened later by her husband who wanted to announce his 10th anniversary present to her, a brand new maroon citron. <laughs> mm. You ever heard the expression, don't bite the hand that feeds you? Does it kind of go with this? I, I think about this. I've said this so many times as a teacher. I, I, you know, for me being a PE class, you know, I just want my kids to make an A. I mean, it's easy. I mean, the lessons on the the, the health lessons are easy. I just want them to make an A. And, and there's been a couple times in the last four years that I've taught this class where all they had to do was just like just the other day I had about a week ago, well, a couple weeks ago, uh, I had a young man who all he had to do was just take about. 20 minutes to copy answer sheets, Miss Jan. Did it? You didn't. You, you could just copy it. I give you the answer key, Jimmy. Easier than whenever I had you, right? Just, here's the answer sheet. Here's a paper. Just copy them down, and they wouldn't do it. And then have an attitude with me. I'm like, so, so I. Wait a minute. I'm trying to help you. Right? I, you bat, you bite in the hand. You know, I don't want to do that, man. You can't make me stay. I'm like, <laughs> I don't understand. I'm trying to help your grade. Uh, the lady messed up the, her brand new maroon citron. See, and now we're going to see that God will use a plant to win as an object lesson to teach Jonah a very important truth. We'll see that again later. Look in the next couple of verses. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yeah, it's right. He replied, I'm angry enough to die. So, and let me let me clarify because, I mean, I still don't think it makes any sense that he did it, but there, you know, there was a good bit difference in the shade, you know, on the temperature. But it wasn't just a little wind that we have, okay? All right. In fact, the, the research here I love, y'all know I love the details. The scorching east wind is called, was, it was called the dreaded Sirocco, S-I-R-O-C-C-O, -C -C if you want to look that up later, the Sirocco in that, in that area. Uh, this wasn't some regular wind, okay? Um, the following description of it helps us appreciate why it has such a depressing effect on Jonah. This is from uh, a guy named Bailey with his research. He said, during a period of a Sirocco, the temperature rises steeply, sometimes even climbing during the night, and it remains high, about 16 to 22 degrees Fahrenheit above the average. At times, every scrap of moisture seems to have been extracted from the air so that one has a curious feeling that one's skin has been drawn much tighter than usual. Sirocco days are peculiarly trying to the temperature, to the temper, temperature and temper, okay, and tend to make even the mildest people irritable and fretful and to snap at one another for apparently no reason at all. Okay, some research on this. So this is a very difficult uh, wind here. And once again, Jonah says, I want to die. 
And as Alexander says, we're in in verse 3. Verse 3, he questions God's right to deliver. Here he challenges God's right to destroy. Can't make them happy, can we? Then verse 3, I can't believe you say those people. And then it's like, I can't believe you destroyed that plant. Wait, what do you want, brother? I can't make you happy. <laughs> it's either way. It just reminds me how some people are. I, I, I don't want to go into too great detail, but I can tell you there was a time uh, when we were playing um, senior night against Columbia High School. It was a whole lot bigger than us. Okay? And I'm taking care of everything. As the, as the basketball coach there, I mostly I always took care of senior night. I took care of the girls' basketball team, my team, and the cheerleaders. Didn't have to, but I did it because I was the only one on campus. So I would take care of it, everything. No one, I guess, knew that I was the one taking care of it behind the scenes every, every year. And then before we played that day, this is the last year I coached, and, and Malcolm was in the hallway with me, my assistant coach, and he saw it. He still can't believe it. To this day, he still can't believe it. You know, This lady from the community comes in the hallway where she's not supposed to go because <laughs> that's supposed to be off limits. And she catches me in the hallway and just just chews me up and down because I didn't get a a uh, a gift or anything for a manager. And I was like, I was pretty upset. <laughs> like, I can't make anybody happy. Look, that young man, I love him. Love him. I think he's a great, you know, I, I, I know him today. And nice to him every time I see him. But he didn't go to a single practice of mine in four years. If somebody wanted to get him something, then somebody else should have got him something. He didn't, he didn't ever go to my practice. But I was, but they were complaining about me for that. I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Um, some will complain about everything. See, it's a matter of the heart, amen? Only a few minutes, and we're almost done. Last two verses. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night, perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which is more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between the right and the left, as well as many animals. We see number three, his reproof of Jonah. Here's the point of God's object lesson with a plant, the worm and the uh, scorching wind. You're caring about the wrong thing. Y'all see it? You're caring about the wrong thing. Your heart is not right. Okay? What about yours? See, um, in response to the fault that we should love others first before going to them, Y'all remember the, the Lottie Moon video today? That's pretty powerful, wasn't it? To see all these people and the names of people and pictures of people who, who gave their lives to Christ. The, J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite favorite theologians, favorite preachers, he, he was answering the he was responding to the idea that you're supposed to love people before you go to them. And, and I think obviously, you know, we, we want as our that's one of our one of our mottos for our church, right? To love God, and love others. Um, but he kind of makes the point where what what if you know maybe that doesn't come first maybe you go first and then you love here's what he said God says to Jonah this is J Vernon McGee God says to Jonah Jonah a gourd is nothing listen he says my friend I hate to say this but a but a cat is nothing a little dog is nothing but a human being has a soul that is either going to heaven or hell and God didn't ask you to love the lost before you go to them. He said, I love the lost, and I want you to go to them. I love the lost, and I want you to go to them. That is what he's saying to Jonah. Jonah, I love the Ninevites. You go. I know how you feel about them. That, again, 120,000 people who gave, who, who turned, and he was mad about it. There was uh, a guy named Pete, Peter Arnett. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I, I, I don't remember seeing him, but apparently he was a, he was a CNN television 
uh, commentator and reporter. All right. Um, he tells of a time, uh, this is a pretty powerful story, he tells of a time he was in Israel in a small town on the West Bank when a bomb exploded. Bloodied people were everywhere. A man came running up to Peter holding a little girl in his arms. He pleaded with Peter to take her to the hospital. She has a member of the press. He will be able to get through security, and that guy would not be able to. So Peter, the man, and the girl jumped into his car, and they rushed to the hospital. The whole time, man, the man was pleading with him to hurry, to go fast, go fast, heartbroken at the thought the little girl might die. Sadly, the little girl's injuries were too great, and she died on the operating table. When the doctor came out to give them the news, the man collapsed in tears. Peter Arnett was lost for words, and he said to the man, I don't know what to say. I can't imagine what you must be going through. I've never lost a child. It was then that the man said, Oh, mister, that girl was not my daughter. I'm an Israeli settler. <clears throat> she was a Palestinian. But there comes a time when each of us must realize that every child, regardless of that child's background, is a daughter or a son. There must come a time when we realize that we are all family. Do we have that same kind of heart? For those that maybe we don't get along with sometimes. Do we know what Jonah felt about the Ninevites? There by the grace of God go us all, right? That will quote. One of the things that, and again, I know I've referred to teachers here before because I, I, I am one, but one of, the, one of the most frustrating things for me as a teacher in 26 years, and it still probably is the most frustrating thing, is that I can't make students care. I can't make them care. I, I, can, I can do my best. And I can try to encourage them, but ultimately I can't make them. I can't open their head and drop some care in there and then close it back. Wish I could. What about us? Do we really care about others, even if they don't look like us? Do we want them to come to Christ or do we want them to be destroyed? Unfortunately, and this is sad for me to say, but I feel like there are some Christians who are sitting under a shelter with their feet up waiting for people to be destroyed. Oh, may that not be us, guys. Let it not be us. Amen? May we care. As Sheol said, God's compassion embraces all humankind, not just His prophet Jonah and not just the Jewish people. All humankind. And as we close this morning, we'll have Sally come up here. As we close this book of Jonah, I want us to notice, and we're not going to go back and look at it just for the sake of time. We've got some pictures to take and and a good time this morning, right? Before we get there, we'll look at this idea that uh, of salvation. Okay? Yes, there's, there's irony in it. It's a great story, and, and you know it's, it's very interesting. A lot of cool details. I hope y'all enjoyed our walk through Jonah. But can we, if we look back at each chapter, we see salvation. We we, we see salvation for the sailors in chapter one, okay? um, and we see we see sailors crying out to God more than the man of God, right? And then in chapter 2, we see salvation for Jonah. God sent him in a weird way, but he there's still salvation for Jonah. And then in chapter 3, salvation for the Ninevites. The same people that, remember, they used to kind of laugh about it from time to time because the whole picture, but ripping lips off people, remember that? Yeah, those people. God's salvation for them. And then it's the whole objective of God's question of Jonah in this chapter today. Salvation. And interestingly, the book ends openly, right? Uh, we, you know, a lot of times we don't like that. I bet, I bet Ms. Donna's and the students don't, they don't like that. They want a closure. 
in a book, in a movie, right? This Jonah, Jonah's open. Because uh, we, we, it ends without telling us whether Jonah responded positively to the Lord's closing reprimand. It just ends. You see that, Brother, brother Tommy? It just ends. It didn't tell us what happened after that. He just had, it ends with God questioning him. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which is more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between the right and the left, as well as many animals? And it ends. We don't know. We don't know what Jonah's response is. It ends with his reprimand. What about you today? What will be your answer today? How will, how will your book end? What will you choose today? If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I plead with you, if you have not done that, I plead with you to do that today. And if you have, what will you choose? Will you choose gourds or souls? Miss Dolores, and I, I bless her heart, I, I wish she was here today. She seated, I, I, I told her that I was going to use her illustration today. She sent me this illustration like three weeks ago. Right? And I thought it was fantastic as we close today. It says, The night the Titanic sank in 1912, on April 14th, 1,528 people went into the frigid waters. John Harper, after putting his only daughter on a lifeboat, was seen swimming frantically to people in the water, leading them to Jesus before the hypothermia became fatal. Reverend Harper swam up to one young man who had climbed up on a piece of debris. Reverend Harper asked him between breaths, Are you saved? The young man replied that he was not. Harper then tried to lead him to Christ, only to have the young man who was near shot reply no. John Harper then took off his life jacket and threw it to the man and said, Here then, you need this more than I do. And swam away to the other people. A few minutes later, Harper swam back to the young man and succeeded this time in leading him to salvation. Of the 1,528 people that went to the water that night, six were rescued by a lifeboat. One of them was this young man on the debris. Four years later, at a survivor's meeting, this young man stood up and in tears recounted how John Harper had led him to Christ. Reverend Harper had tried to swim back to help other people, yet because of the intense cold, had grown too weak to swim. His last words before going under in the frigid waters were, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Does Hollywood remember this man? No. Oh well, no matter. This servant of God did what he had to do. While other people were trying to buy their way into the lifeboats and were selfishly trying to save their own lives, John Harper gave up his life so that others could be saved. Same people in this Lottie, Lottie Moon video. Amen. Hopefully that will be our decision today to tell others about God, to rescue the perishing. Amen. It's a matter of the heart. Sally, can you come? Let's stand. We're going to be singing hymns.